Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. And we thank you, Lord, for what a great privilege it is to um, to be in relationship with you, to be bought and redeemed by your precious blood, Lord Jesus, um, and to walk in the pilgrim way with you, to follow you all the days of our life. And so we ask, Lord, even as we look into scripture and look into the history of the saints of um, how you've worked through different things throughout the centuries for your church, we ask, Lord, that you would make um, these different nuts and bolts real for us today, that you would give us practical ways um, to set uh, take take one step uh, in front of the other in following you. And so we ask this for your glory's sake and in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You'll see on the fact sheet, I said, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is one who believes in Jesus. And we see that in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And a disciple is also one who follows Jesus in Matthew um, 4, 18 through 20. And we're going to read that in a minute. And also, a disciple is a learner. The actual Greek word is mathetai um, for disciples, plural. And it sounds like mathematics, doesn't it? Mathetai. And it means literally learner. So a disciple is one who learns from a teacher. And so Jesus, of course, was the teacher of the disciples in the first century. Jesus is our teacher in the discipleship classes that we have here. Um, but specifically, there's this idea of being a lifelong learner. I think I remember being in school, and I was such a nerd that I would have loved to have been. When people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I thought, you mean I have to leave school? I mean, I was that much of a nerd. I loved it that much that I could have just gone to school for my whole life. And there's something about being a Christian. You, we get to be in school our whole life. We um, get to learn from um, Scripture and um, from the Lord Jesus um, our whole life. And so looking at what does it mean to follow Jesus, well, um, let's read Matthew 4, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 22 to you. So if you have your Bible, it'll be helpful to um, open it. I've only quoted part of it on your other handout. Um, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. We hear also in other parts of scripture in Matthew 9, Jesus also calls Matthew or Levi as Mark calls him. And he says to him, follow me. And Levi, we're told, leaves everything from his tax collecting booth right there and gets up and goes and follows Jesus. In um, John chapter 1, verse 43, we also hear Jesus telling Philip, follow me. Um, and we know that um, from Scripture, not just men were followers of Jesus. Certainly the 12 apostles were men. Um, but in, John, in Luke chapter 8, he tells us, Luke tells us about the women who accompanied Jesus as his disciples. They were there walking around with Jesus, walking around Jerusalem, literally walking with Jesus, literally following Jesus in that sense. Um, and so with these first disciples, though, in that passage from Matthew, you get the sense that there is this, immediacy to discipleship. There is this turning from and turning to, turning away from an old life and an old way of being and turning to a new way of being, a new life. And there's something about that. In in 
through faith in Jesus Christ, we are brand new. We have his righteousness perfectly. Um, we have eternal life now, today, an abundant life. Um, but there is this sense, too, in which the old us continues to linger on, right? The old Deborah is still here overlapping with the brand new Deborah, the um, the washed, regenerated um, child of God. There's also this um, <laughs> stubborn, sinful, fallen, uh, let's see what else, um, bitter, let's see what else, nagging Deborah. There's still that Deborah in existence with um, the brand new Deborah, the redeemed Deborah. And so part of our life here on this earth is to recognize as we follow Jesus, He's calling us away from the old life and into the new life. The new life is already reality, fully, completely, totally. That's what we believe in. Our theology says so and reaffirms it. It's total. Our redemption is total, and it's already existent in Jesus Christ. We have already been redeemed. We are already righteous in him, and yet um, and yet, we see the old us. And so there's something about this continual turning. Every time we say the confession on Sunday morning, we're turning away from the old me. Um, and turning to Jesus Christ, following him, confessing our sins, turning to him in our need um, for a savior. And so there's this call to lead our old, leave our old selves, our old life, our old patterns, our sinful self. And so as we leave, um, we are following Jesus. And um, in this idea of following Jesus, we, we talked about this the first week when Trisha was teaching on scripture. How do we know who it is that we're following? If you've done any kind of biblical studies, you know that um, throughout the centuries of New Testament criticism, all of these big-headed academic scholars have set, been on this quest for the historical Jesus. Will the real Jesus please stand up is kind of what they're saying. And they try to go through, they took this very scientific modernist approach to scripture. Well, Jesus couldn't have said that. He couldn't have said this. They even cast votes, this whole group of academics. And um, But really for us, the question, we, at the end of all of that, um, one person said that all of these scholars, it was as though they were looking down this well the well of history, trying to see the reflection in the bottom, see who is Jesus, like looking through a long, dark tunnel. And all of these New Testament scholars, as they were picking and choosing which scriptures to follow, which scriptures were authentic in their minds, they were essentially um, trying to remake Jesus in their own image. And one of these scholars has this great line about how all of this history of liberal New Testament scholarship that wants to throw out the baby with the bathwater, that wants to pick and choose which scriptures we should follow and which are really ones that Jesus said, uh, this one criticism says, well, all of those scholars that were trying to do that, essentially they're looking into this well, and at the bottom of the well, all they see in the water is a reflection of themselves. They are trying to remake Jesus in their own image. And this is one of the reasons why, as Christians, we are called to follow him by reading scripture, um, by praying. Because without scripture and prayer specifically, how do we know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as he really is? He reveals himself to us in scripture. And so um, we hear those words of Jesus in John chapter 15 as he's about to leave his disciples the next day. Um, there he is in the upper room, and he tells his disciples in John 15 verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This call uh, to be a disciple is a call to abide 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we know him except through um, the revelation of scripture? And we can approach scripture in a way all too often, especially as good evangelicals, good Protestants, will approach scripture in this left-brained way. Um, we'll approach scripture by trying to study it and divide it down, understand it, know it. Um, and that's very good. We need that. We need to know what is this passage saying in the first century context? What are all these things that I don't understand? I'm going to go look them up in a Bible dictionary. And certainly in our class, we actually learn about how to do that. But one of the things I'm talking about today is that we also want to approach scripture both devotionally on our own as individuals, but also corporately as a group. And we do this in our class. Um, we want to approach scripture um, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. How appropriate for Pentecost Sunday. Um, we want to trust that scripture itself is alive, that God speaks through scripture to us today. And there is this numinous right-brained spiritual, even relational knowing of God through reading Holy Scripture. And it's um, so we, we use this one practice called Lectio Divina, which is a way of actually sitting with Scripture together as a group, waiting on God when we sit in Scripture, reading it aloud several times, breathing, praying, asking God to show us specifically what he would have us know about that passage, what he would have us um, see about ourselves because of that passage, what he would have us see about himself because of that passage. And it's amazing when we sit in this class as a group, and I wish I had time to do one of them today for us, and so I'm sort of giving you a teaser but not letting us do it here. But there is this opportunity to see and hear God speaking um, individually um, around the circle and then corporately together. We're all edified through that. And so basically this opportunity to listen to God's Holy Spirit speak into our lives today through reading scripture together, we are basically trusting in the word um, from Hebrews 4.12 when we do this. And this passage says, this verse says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So again, encountering this practice allows us to do this at home, but also corporately. And one thing, just again, since I said this is nuts and bolts, one thing even that you could take home from this today, if you wanted to practice this a little bit on your own, um, one thing that I do, because I'm reading scripture so much and I'm studying it so much in that left-brained way, when I read scripture for me, it's a real challenge not to go into the left-brain no mode, not to say, oh, I know blah, 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 blah about this passage, but just to sit and just to listen and just to read. And so sometimes, so I don't do any Bible reading plans. I don't, I have read the Bible in a year, but I don't read the Bible in a year. I just sit there with one passage and I'll try to go through one chapter a day, but sometimes it might be that I linger on one verse and I give myself the permission in that time with the Lord daily just to stay where I need to be, to listen to him and stay where I need to be. And it might be that I need to stay on one verse for a week and really memorize it and then move on to the rest of the chapter. Um, and just listening and allow, listening to God while you read scripture, praying before you read scripture on your own. These are all things that um, believe in God's power to break through to us and trust in God's power to break through to us um, and, and position ourselves um, as ready and waiting vessels to receive from God through scripture. Okay, any thoughts about that? Anything anyone wants to share before I talk about prayer very briefly? 
prayer also is a way of encountering God, knowing God. Um, we think of prayer so often as coming to God with a list. How many of you have a list of people that you pray for? And you might have your list and you come to God and it's like, for me, it's a little bit like my grocery list, right? I make lots of lists. I actually have a whole notebook that I really like that has um, lists. It sort of starts the lists for you. It has like one, two, three, four, five, or it has like a grid so you can make your own list look super special and important. Um, but the list of people we pray for certainly is important. Those are the people that God has laid on our heart to intercede for. And yet praying in that way is, um, is only praying in one of the many ways that God provides for us. Because prayer ultimately is a way of um, sharing intimate relationship with the Lord God. Um, I think of this with a friend of mine, and I'll use that word friend. I have a lot of friends. Thank you, Lord, that I have a lot of friends. There's one friend of mine who is um, a friend from when I lived in Massachusetts. And we both moved away from Massachusetts. She now lives in Virginia. And I call her my friend, but really she is the one who pursued me for so many years. She, um, during these five years that I've lived in Birmingham, she, even though she has two tiny babies, called me every week or texted me every week and said, how's it going? She, she pursued relationship with me. She desired relationship with me. And so she's my friend, but she's a much better friend to me than I am to her. Because I realize now she, um, she's pregnant with her third child, and she has the worst morning sickness ever. And I have to consciously remember, okay, it's time to call Catherine. It's time to text Catherine. Because she allowed me um, to receive from her so graciously for so long. And yet, I want to be a good friend to her. I want, to, I want the relationship to be two ways. I want to set aside time to talk with her, um, to build our relationship, to recognize that we are, in fact, um, friends. And so that's where God can break through to us, break into our schedule, just the way Catherine very graciously called me every week for four years. Or um, we can also, and or, we can also position ourselves in a way that says, um, I'm ready. I'm, go I'm going to dial this time instead of just pick up the receiver. I'm going to sit here and receive from you, Lord God. I'm going to trust that you're going to reach out to me in this time, and I'm going to be the one um, making the time and the space um, to be able to spend this time together. So um, one thing I love about this, um, that particular practice is that, and one of the authors of one of the books that we read for the class says this, um, a sailor cannot produce wind, but even when there is no wind, there are some things you can do. You can trim the sails and position the rudder so that when the wind finally does come, the boat will move. Without these actions, you will not be able to sail even when the wind does come. In a similar way, we cannot generate the wind of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but there are things that we can do to prepare for the wind. So praying in this way, praying um, in different ways, um, can help us trim the sails and do all of those things. My family is a family of sailors, and I never learn the things because it's always every summer I'll do it once a summer, and then I'll come back the next summer, and I've forgotten all the things to do. But trim the sails, tie on the rudder. Um, with all those tiny sailboats, you have to do it all in advance. Um, we come together in prayer. Um, we pray a lot as a group in our discipleship class, but we also encourage prayer individually. So not just coming to God with a laundry list, but rather setting aside specific hours of prayer a day. This is an ancient monastic tradition. Um, they even did it eight times a day, nine times a day throughout the clock, around the clock. Um, monks throughout the Middle Ages would um, come down to pray together. And we my parents and I got to see some of these beautiful abbeys in England and, and around Europe. And one of the things that struck me so much was that the dormitory for the monks 
and these abbey churches, these gorgeous abbey churches look just like other parish churches. They're a little bit bigger. But the, um, the monks had a dormitory that was right near the church, that was right near the chapel, so that they could, and literally there were stairs that would go down from the dormitory um, into the chapel. And I remember one in particular, I took a picture of it because the stairs were so worn after centuries of monks coming down to pray twice in the middle of the night or in the early morning that um, that they were worn with this act of devotion. And certainly setting up this structure can feel rigid, it can feel legalistic, and yet if, consider it a rhythm more than a rule. It's a structure that then invites us to pray in a certain way, expects God to meet us in a certain way during these hours of prayer. And we have these hours of prayer in our prayer book in, in, in a minor way, so morning prayer, um, in evening prayer, and Compline, and then we also have a couple of individual devotions at the front of our prayer book. So we talk about those, we explore those together as a group, um, but also we talk about prayer that is um, unstructured beyond words. Um, we talk about prayer that is silent. We talk about prayer that is a breath prayer. Um, one ancient um, came up with this prayer, and it's a common practice within the Eastern churches. And there's nothing that's um, bad about it for us as good Protestants. So and it's a prayer where you just um, recognize that you're breathing, you're alive, you're an embodied human being, and as you breathe, you pray, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you can pray. That's the classic um, breath prayer. But do you see how it just slows you down? Um, it humbles my heart. It um, reaches out to God in humility. Um, it recognizes when I breathe this breath prayer, I'm stopping to recognize that God is present with me throughout all of the moments of the day um, if I'm um, able to stop and listen and breathe. And so sometimes even in my life, that breath prayer, and I've changed the words of it. Sometimes it will be, Lord Jesus Christ, look down with mercy. Or, um, Lord Jesus Christ, give me the words. I need that one a lot. <laughs> um, both corporately in settings like this, but also individually when I'm meeting with someone and I don't know what to say. Um, those stop prayers of stopping and praying like that, um, can be so life-giving. And so when we study prayer together as a group, and even in these little, hopefully, nuts and bolts that I've given you today, do you hear that there is a longing to know and to be known? Um, there is, in the fra um, that phrase, echoing Psalm 42, verse 7, deep calls to deep, this longing for deep relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we come to him in prayer, we're saying, I want more of that. Yes, I want those times when you break in, but I also want even more of that. I long for a deeper relationship with you. So these are um, two of the practices that kind of approach who is it that we are following and how do we know him. Some of the other practices answer the question, who am I? How do I know who I am? And how can I be um, really myself? I like to say, how can I let my insides match my outsides? which is a good goal for us as Christians. Yes, the old Deborah will always be there alongside the new Deborah, but there's something about that honesty that allows relationship with people horizontally to be possible. And so um, in one of the books that we study for the class, let's see, I'm going to show you. It's called Sacred Rhythms. She talks about a couple of different practices that really help understand who I am. And so um, one of those is solitude. During our retreat for the discipleship class, we have a retreat every year, and we actually kind of, you know, we, 
we, we don't make you spend, we do make you spend time alone. Um, anybody who's been on the retreat and you remember, we spend several hours in silence. So we only, we're only away for one night, but we break up. If you can imagine, we're at a lake, and so we have enough space where everyone can go off on their own. And I encourage people, don't talk at all to each other. Don't even smile. We know you mean the smile, but don't smile. Don't even, you don't need to even acknowledge this is time alone and time in silence. And for so many of us, we crave that. We have such busy lives that we crave that silence. Or if you're like me, um, we avoid that silence and that solitude. That's what iPhones are for, aren't they? How many times do you see someone in a waiting room using the iPhone so that they don't have to talk to other people, um, which, or so that they don't have to sit and listen to what's going on in their heart? And um, I think of that with the airplane. Isn't it so diabolical and wonderful when they make you turn off your cell phone? And you see people have panic attacks because they can't access their cell phone and then they start to misbehave on the plane um, or they want to have more access to their cell phone than they're allowed to have. Well, solitude is something that we practice together and that we encourage um, getting alone. And that's something, too, I'd encourage you to think about even in your daily life. Is there a way you can get alone even just for five or ten minutes? If you have small children, it's probably not possible. But even just for five or ten minutes um, can be such a life-giving thing spiritually. Because there, then, when we are alone, um, we often are able to examine ourselves in a way we're not able to otherwise. And this is part of knowing ourselves. Um, in this book, in the Sacred Rhythms book, she talks about two different kinds of examinations. One is, um, and it's an ancient practice, an ancient monastic practice, this examine is what it's called. She calls one the practice of an examine of consciousness. So essentially listening, asking yourself, where have I seen God at work? in my day today, and it's especially helpful at the end of the day. How have I seen God, um, very often with me, it's prevent me from getting hit or hitting someone else with my car, um, sadly, but truly. Um, how have I seen him um, somehow um, work through something someone else said, and that really meant a lot to me, and God, through that person, encouraged me? Or how have I seen him prevent me from saying things I shouldn't say? There was, you know, if there was a moment where suddenly, by the grace of God, my mouth was shut, wow, hallelujah, that's a sign that God is at work in my life today. So she talks about this examine of consciousness, sitting down and being aware of God's constant presence with us, which we see in, um, in Psalm 139. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Where can I go from your presence, Lord? I cannot flee from you. If I go to the top of the mountains, you're there. If I go to the bottom of the sea, you're there. Um, if I start my day at 4 a.m., you're there. If I'm nursing the baby in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 1 a.m., you're there. If I'm driving to work at 7.45 and I'm late, you're there also. Um, so just trusting that God is there with us and opening up our eyes to see him and thank him for his presence in our lives daily. And then on the flip side of that, the examine of conscience and this is a practice, again, at the end of the day, where we gently say, okay, Lord, where is the old me present? Um, doing, show me my sin, which is something bold to do. You can't do that unless you know that there is unconditional love being offered. And so relaxing back into God's presence at the end of the day, praying and saying, Lord, would you show me ways in which I haven't lived up to the ideal of your great love for me and your great love for others. How have I not loved you and loved others um, as you love me? 
And so again, with that, that usually leads to confession, of course. So these ideas of examination, self-examination are something we're going to pick up next week. Our class next week is about justification versus self-justification, and Liz Jones will be teaching that, which is just a wonderful way of looking at the words that come out of our mouth and how do we seek to justify ourselves instead of leaning back on the justification that comes um, through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the last one, honoring the body. Again, in this book, um, there is this idea of taking care of the body. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the, um, the, the Lord visits Elijah, the prophet, and tells him specific things about what to eat, what to sleep, um, what to drink. And those are things that it's really interesting to see this example in scripture of um, the Lord saying to someone, your body is important. What we do in our body is, is important. Uh, the incarnation itself um, tells us that. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. Um, Lord Jesus Christ becoming flesh means that uh, our bodies are good, um, as the Lord says at the beginning of all creation in Genesis. And yet we also recognize that um, there is this idea in which our bodies can rule us. And um, some of the sins of the body are things that we might not be as aware of. Um, and so just thinking about that, thinking about um, that with more presence of mind is something that she talks about in this book. She talks about different ways of um, caring for the body. And some of the other books on rule, a rule of life, and I'll talk about what a rule of life means in just a minute, they talk about the body a lot. They talk about fasting. Richard Foster talks about fasting a lot or, um, or feasting, but recognizing the difference between... Um, one and the other, and that what we put in our bodies is really important. One of the things she she highlights in here too is that the daily um, the daily grind of doing the dishes and then the dishes are dirty again, and then we wash the dishes and the dishes are dirty again. I know they, it's really fun. They like to just, um, doing that every day, doing the laundry and then the laundry is dirty again. Why do we do this every day? or every week on the weekly cycle, it's because our bodies are important. And so doing those tasks can actually be an act of spiritual worship and an act of saying, um, God said this matter, this stuff of my body is, is good, fallen, redeemed, good, and taking care of it is a good thing. Okay, I'm going to um, really truck through the last few, my last few minutes. Anybody have any questions or things you want to add? As we wave to the children who are gone now. But, but yeah, Mary, thing, please. The solitude thing you were yeah. talking about, and that's such a foreign concept for so many of us. But I was thinking about how many, how often I just schedule things on my iPhone, you know, my calendar, what I do, or, and if I'll schedule just that hour, you know, or it, then I'll do it. Otherwise, things just creep in. But yeah. that's actually been a sort of a weird little simple tool of, you know, yeah, of yeah. scheduling solitude. Cause, yeah. Because I'm otherwise I just, you know, I just the time flitters away or whatever. Absolutely. So. That's a way of taking that um, smartphone and making it a yeah, helpful yeah. servant instead oh, of a, yeah. a master. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And bl blocking it out on your mm -hmm. calendar. One yeah. thing similar to that that my parents always say, especially in ministry, is that you want to block margin, mm -hmm. build in margin, because yeah, that's, that's when sure. they say that's when the ministry always happens. It's not during this hour, you know, 35 minutes of class. It's between class yeah. and the next thing happening. Mm -hmm. And so you have to recognize that that's when it's going to happen. You have to build in time with this expectation that God will be at work there. 
Thank you, Mary. Um, well, so talking about who is it that we're following, who am I, we talk also about who is on this journey with me. And in this book, we talk about a lot. She talks a lot about um, community and, um, and some of the other books talk about what that community can look like between family and friends, um, between uh, among us as a church community, and essentially as we meet together as disciples. This is part of building community. This is a part of way, a, a way of saying we are the body of Christ as the 12 of us come together every week. We become the body of Christ because um, we know that we each have faith in him, and then also we're becoming sisters, really, in that bond. And that's something truly that happens on Sunday mornings for us as a church, but it really happens away from Sunday mornings. It happens between Sundays um, for men and women that we really truly bond together as brothers and sisters in Christ um, in, the, in the off times. Um, so again, thinking about who is on that journey with us, um, I'm going to zoom through. Where are we going? One of the one of the practices that can be really helpful for understanding who am I in terms of what am I called to do and where am I going is this idea of discernment, which is really listening to God in prayer. And we've talked about that. Um, uh, we've found that that has been uh, a way for us as corporately as a group in this last group in the last class, what we did was we spent one whole class just listening to the Lord in prayer. Um, we were all pretty much silent, um, as, and we were given a specific topic, and we just listened and then shared what we, maybe it was a hymn that we started finding ourselves singing, or we were drawn to a particular passage in scripture, or we might have had an image that came to mind about this specific topic, and so those were things then that we shared. And that can be so life-giving, and trusting that God is speaking to us as his body and working through us as members of the body of Christ. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, some of the things we're called to do, certainly corporately and individually, individually, each one of us has a certain vocation and certain gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit that God desires for us to give back to him and trust that he will work through them to build up his body. Um, we see that in Ephesians 4, that it's really the ministers with the our job is to actually equip the saints for the work of ministry, that the work of the ministry of the church, bearing witness to the world, um, loving our neighbor as ourselves. This work is done by every single member, the priesthood of all believers, every single person in the body of Christ. And so our job on Sundays and other days of the week is really to equip everyone else for this work of ministry. And so this idea of vocation and gifting is something that each each person has a, a call and gifts to use in God's service. And, and so um, that can affect our work that we might do inside or outside the home. That can affect um, ways in which we might serve in our free time or in our work time. Um, and then we also look at worship and rest, Sabbath and play. I just want to take one more moment on Sabbath before I talk about what a rule of life actually is. Sabbath, of course, is taking one day um, where you just don't do anything at all on that day or anything that's considered work. And for many um, cultures that has become, and even especially here in the States, that can become very legalistic, right? Does anybody remember blue laws and things like that where you aren't allowed to do certain things on a specific day? Well, the, you know, understanding, a New Testament understanding of Sabbath um, says that we can enter into this day of rest that is actually a gift of grace and not a law that God is imposing on us. Yes, it's one of the Ten Commandments, but it's given to us for our benefit because it's something that we need. We need this time of rest. We need to not be 
running around all the time working, working, working. And so, um, so she talks about it again in this book, Taking One Day a Week, where we, um, maybe we do cook or maybe we do things that might historically be considered work or that a strict um, observant Jew would say, no, that's, too, that's work, working on the Sabbath. And yet, um, for us, it's a creative act. It's an act of serving God and serving others. It's an act of joy. And so then the work doesn't feel like work. Um, so thinking about one day a week like that. And it's truly taking one day a week as the Sabbath is actually an act of faith, isn't it? Because it's a way of saying all of the things that I think I'm so important that I have to do, they'll keep going without me. God um, will work through other people to do them on this one day of the week and I don't have to worry about them, and I'm going to put my whole trust in him and allow others to do the work and others to serve me even in some ways. Um, I have thoughts about Sabbath. I love that passage from Isaiah 30, and the Lord says this to, to the people of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So that's one of my life verses if you are evangelical enough to have life verses, but that's one of the ones that I keep needing to hear again and again. And so it's appropriate that Sabbath is the last one of these practices that we're talking about before we talk about what it means to kind of cobble together a sense of identity in, in a patchwork of practices. Um, a rule of life um, for many centuries um, is this, has been associated with the monastic life, and certainly that's what has informed um, certainly the book that we read together and some other books that are worth reading on the same topic. Um, the word rule comes from a Greek word meaning trellis, um, which if you think about it, a trellis is meant to hold up the living thing of a vine. It's not um, alive itself. It can be um, constructed and deconstructed. And one of the, um, one of the writers on this topic has an actual trellis, which is helpful, and he puts all of these different things, practices down there, Sabbath, prayer, sacred reading, friendship, family, sexuality, body play, money, work, justice, witness, and he has this way of understanding it. But I don't know about you, but this is way too complicated for me. If I think I could possibly do one of these things in all of these different categories, I just can't. <laughs> And so the way we approach it in our class is we kind of present over a whole semester lots of these different ideas, and then we say at the end of the semester, maybe just pick one. <laughs> Pray about one. Pick one and try it out over the summer. And then we report back to each other at the end of the summer and talk about what God did. Well, so this rule of life was um, is a phrase that was um, come about by St. Benedict um, in the 5th century, 6th century. And he constructed a rule for um, monks or those who are living together as Christians in community that um, had boundaries for sleeping, eating, praying, reading, working, and playing. And it was meant to be, again, like setting aside the time, even on your iPhone, to say this is the time when I'm going to be alone. Um, it would ha They would have bells that went off, which reminds me of high school and the class bell and it would always cause anxiety in me because then I'd have to move on to the next thing and I wasn't ready to move on to the next thing. Well, in monasteries, they do actually have that bell that rings and they move from one to the next. But the idea is the trusting that in this structure, God will be alive and at work. And so engaging in a rule of life um, with this attitude of trying to piece it together, trying to put it all on the trellis, like the photo that I just, or the picture I just showed you, um, if we approach it, with the kind of attitude that Evelyn Underhill talks about in this, um, in this uh, 
quote that I have on your sheet, then it really will be legalism. If we approach it with fuss and feverness, feverishness, anxiety, intensity, intolerance, instability, pessimism, and wobble, and every kind of hurry and worry, she says these are signs of the self-made, self-acting soul. No, instead, um, again, this is why we read this book about it, because she's so very gracious about it. She talks about it as a rhythm and not a rule. A rhythm provides structure to music, if you think about it. A rhythm is the rhythm of our heartbeat that keeps going, um, which is why my tiny baby loves the sound of leaning up against my chest, because she knew that sound for nine months. This rhythm involves um, entering into what God is already doing. And for me, my favorite thing in thinking about a rhythm is that perhaps in providing um, structures for us to engage in that will allow us to listen to God and um, set up the sailboat so that when the Holy Spirit comes, we start moving wonderfully, gloriously. We're on on a journey together with God. Well, um, this idea of a rhythm, what if God is inviting us to dance? What if he's saying, come with me, come take my hand. I know this dance. You don't have to do anything, and ladies will understand this better than men. I imagine for men, if you have to know the steps, it's really stressful. Um, but as a woman, it's wonderful. You just have to be in touch with your dance partner. Um, you don't have to worry about the steps as much. You get to just relax and move along. And so what if God is inviting us to dance? He is the one who knows the steps. He just invites us into his arms to be with him, to relax and rest with him, um, and to be on this journey of following him, trusting that he is transforming us from the old us um, into the reality of our righteousness, which is already real, and yet um, somehow he's continuing to transform us every day of our life. So I'm going to pray in just a minute, but any questions or thoughts about that before I do? Lord Jesus, thank you for um, the gift of your great love for us. We thank you that it's love that lives not just for a day, the day when we come to faith in you, but that your love is something that you desire um, to um, for every day of our life, that you desire to walk with us, that you desire to continue to transform mm-hmm. us into your image and your likeness. And so we ask, Lord, indeed, that you would encourage us in um, giving us a longing and a desire uh, for deeper uh, relationship with you. And we ask, Lord, that you would somehow work through some of these nuts and bolts as tools in our toolbox um, to set up the sailboat, to get to just be there ready and waiting, trusting that you will transform us in your time and in your way. And so in the meantime, uh, minister to us by the power of your own Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.